Good morning, brethren. Good morning. Let's be turning to Genesis chapter 16. Genesis 16. When I first read this passage, we were in uh, the first few verses last week. But when I read the second half here at that time, I thought that I would skip over it. And as I continued reading it, I wanted to read it more to be sure. The more I read it, I began to notice that the angel of the Lord spoken of here must be Christ. And as I continued to read it, I was certain this is Christ, pre-incarnate. And like Moses, who saw when the angel of the Lord was burning in the bush in the wilderness, and he paused and looked at it and said, how is this possible? That the fire is burning in this bush, but it's not being consumed. And so he said, I shall turn aside and look more closely. And that's how it was for this passage. I was turned aside, and I thought if, if the angel of the Lord, if Christ would come and minister to this Hagar, and he would pause in the wilderness and, and bless her and do her good, well, then surely there's something we must see. The people, there's something here for the people, the children of God. And so that's how I landed on this passage this morning. The Lord here, what I see here, what was impressed on my heart as I read this a number of times was how that the Lord teaches us about affliction and about persecution in this text. And, and it regards the truth that the Lord is the one who has appointed afflictions and trouble for his people, for the good of his church. And there were two things in regards to that that were impressed upon me. Now, I'm well aware that Hagar at this time, she was being afflicted by her mistress, Sarah the free woman. But there's a child in her womb that she carries that will prove to be a constant means of affliction and persecution for the people of God. And Hagar is given to minister to Sarah. Hagar, her, she's appointed to minister to Sarah. And from this understanding, we understand how that she serves the purposes of God. We see sovereign God is the one who sends Hagar back to Sarah, knowing what she's carrying in her womb. It's God who sends her back to Sarah to minister to Sarah. And, and that's a comfort to the people of God to know this. We're familiar with that passage in Romans 8.28 where Paul says, we know that all things... All things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called, the called, according to purpose. And that's a comfort to us because the Lord's saying all things, all things that I've permitted, that I've brought to pass, are for your good. And that helps because a lot of times we beat ourselves up over former decisions, over things we've done, and we, we can really lay it on ourselves and trouble ourselves about it, but we're reminded Yes, it was wrong for me to do that, but the Lord has purposed it for my good. It's for my good. And so 
that helps us when we come to passages, as Paul reminded the Thessalonians when he said, no man should be moved by these afflictions, for yourselves know that we are appointed thereunto. Our sovereign Lord has appointed the afflictions which he gives to his people to minister to them, to serve them for their good. And then the second thing we see here in this passage is we're encouraged. I'm encouraged. I'm encouraged in seeing the afflictions and tribulations that, that we see how the Lord directs his people to humble themselves, to submit themselves under those afflictions that he brings because it works good for them and it works good for his people. So we'll see that today in this passage. So Sarah, what happened here, the reason why Hagar's in the wilderness, because that's what happened. She's fled from Sarah and she's in the wilderness alone and the Lord comes to her. The angel of the Lord comes and speaks to her. Well, what happened was Sarah was grieved with Abram. She was mad at Abram because he hearkened to her word. <laughs> he hearkened and listened to her when she said, the Lord has promised you a seed. Take Hagar for your second wife, and, and perhaps the Lord will give us a child by Hagar. And the problem is they were trying to effect, to bring to pass, the promise that God made to Abram in the covenant of grace. They were trying to bring it to pass by the works of the flesh. And we're not going to do that. We're not going to do it. It's not going to be that work which God purposed to bless his people in. And so, of course, it failed. It failed. Hagar did concede, and she did bring forth a son. But Hagar, as we saw previously, She's a picture of the covenant of works, of that covenant given at Mount Sinai, which, whose people who follow it are in bondage. And when Hagar conceived in her womb, and she pictures the law, when she conceived and she said, I've brought forth fruit, and you, free woman, have not brought forth fruit. And she despised her mistress, Sarah. What we saw in the beginning of chapter 16, she despised Sarah, and Sarah saw that she was despised. And it's a picture that says those people, those in religion that, that labor by the law and bring forth works, they despise those who hope and wait in the mercy and grace of God to save his people. In fact, our Lord gave a parable in Luke 18, I think it is, where he gave this parable for those, to, for those who trusted in their own works and despised others. They despised others. That's Luke 18. And that's the parable of the, of the publican and the Pharisee, who both go to the temple. And one went home justified. One went home justified, the publican, who cried out to God for mercy rather than trust his own works. Now, Abram was given wisdom, and he spoke very wisely and, and comfortably to Sarah. And he comforted her heart because he, he loved her. She's his first wife, and, and he loved her. And he said, She's, you know, Hagar's your servant. She's in your hands. You do with her what you think is right. And at the end of verse 6, it says, When Sarah, or uh, let me just say Sarah, when Sarah dealt hardly with her, Hagar fled from her face. And the name Hagar actually means to flee. 
and she fled from her face. And that word hardly, it means to afflict. Sarah was afflicting her. She was troubling Hagar now. She was forcefully dealing with her, and she was seeking to weaken her, to take her down in her pride a whole lot of notches, to bring her low in herself. And Hagar was proud. And we see that because Hagar said, I don't deserve to be treated like this. I have rights. Here's a servant, a slave to, to Sarah, and she's saying, I have rights. You can't talk to me like this. And so she got out of there. And we see that's the pride that's in us by nature. We have unspoken rights that we think should be honored. And so when, when a humbling situation is brought upon us, we naturally in pride resist it, and we, we rise up and fight against it. And so that's what happened here. Hagar was upset, and, and her rights were crossed, she thought, and so she fled from her mistress. And she was on her way back to Egypt, because that's where she's from. She's from Egypt. It's possible that either Abraham and Sarah picked her up when they were on their way into Egypt or on their way out of Egypt, or perhaps Pharaoh gave, gave her a servant girl when he was courting Sarah because he didn't know she was married to Abraham. And so he was, she, anyway, they, they came upon, they have Hagar now, and she's a servant to Sarah. And it says in verse 7, the angel of the Lord found her by a fountain of water in the wilderness, by the fountain in the way to Shur. Now today, that's in that peninsula, the Sinai Peninsula. So if you're looking at the map this way, you'd see Israel here and Egypt here, and there's the Red Sea, and it has a little fork in the, in the Red Sea of two gulfs, the Gulf of Aqaba, I think, and Suez. And it's that little Sinai Peninsula where she fled into. And, and that, that was probably her, her area close to where... She lived, and she ultimately does live there in the Sinai, where I believe the, the Mount Sinai is in the Sinai Peninsula there, and, and that's where she went between Israel and, and Egypt. It's part of Egypt today, but anyway, it's at this point that the angel of the Lord is first mentioned in Scripture. It's the first time that an angel is mentioned. In Genesis 3, if you're thinking of that, in, in the Garden of Eden, that's a cherubim, and this is the angel of the Lord, and the first mention of it. And what that means is, this is not a created angel. This is not a created angel. And we know that if you look at verse 10, it says, And the angel of the Lord said unto her, I will multiply thy seed exceedingly, that it shall not be numbered for multitude. No created angel speaks like that. They say the Lord will do something. But here, the angel of the Lord says, I will do this. I will do this. Because he alone can speak as God, because he is God. He, is, he has that authority as the true and living God to declare what he will. So verse 8 says, and he said, he's speaking here, Hagar, Sarah's maid, whence comest thou, whence camest thou, and whither wilt thou go? And she said, I flee from the face of my mistress, Sarah. Now, what really jumps out to me is what he calls her. He says, Hagar, Sarah's maid. He says her name and her occupation. He's putting her in memory of who she is. He's saying, Hagar, you're a bondmaid. 
you're given to serve your mistress. How did you come here, away from your mistress? What do you think you're going to do here? Your whole purpose is to serve your mistress, Sarah. And she went back. She, she was made honest there. She didn't hide it. She said the truth, and she went back and continued to serve her mistress. And so at this time, Hagar's being afflicted, but the son she carries in her womb will be used to afflict the son of promise, the children of promise, and it'll be for their good. It'll be for their good. Turn over to Genesis 21. Genesis 21, and let's just read verses 8 through 10. At this point, in Genesis 21, now Abraham and Sarah have had that son of promise. They have conceived and brought forth Isaac, and Isaac's being weaned, where he can eat regular food now. And the child, it says, grew. And was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast the same day that Isaac was weaned. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, which she had borne unto Abraham, mocking. He was mocking. Ishmael is about 13 years old, and he was mocking his little brother, his half-brother Isaac. Wherefore Sarah said unto Abraham, Cast out this bondwoman and her son. For the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, even with Isaac. Now, as regards the gospel, we saw that Hagar is a picture of the law, that law of bondage. And what the Lord is teaching us there is that the law has no place. It served its purpose, and now it, it's, not, it's not given for the children of God. It served for a time in Israel. And the purpose of the law is to give us the knowledge of sin, to show us that we are sinners, that we're exceedingly sinful, and we think we're doing it, and the law finds sin in us all over the place. We're, we're sinners, and it gives the knowledge of sin and the exceeding sinfulness of sin. But when the promised seed came, and you could be turning to Galatians chapter 3, when the promised seed came, oh, put a marker there too, because we'll look at a few scriptures in the New Testament. When the promised seed came, which is the Lord Jesus Christ, and when he was revealed in our hearts, having been crucified, having laid down his life for the sins of his people, and having been raised from the dead, and the Father and the Son having given the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, to regenerate the people of God, to reveal Christ in our hearts by faith. When that came, well, then the rudimentary things of the law and the elemental things practiced in pagan, idolatrous religion, all the, the ABCs of religion, those things were put away. Those things that we trusted in and thought, this is my righteousness. I do this and I do that and I do the other thing and that's my righteousness. The Lord said, that's not your righteousness. My son, look to my son whom I've sent. He is the righteousness of my people. And those things were expelled from us. That's what repentance is. When Paul was preaching to the, the Greek philosophers on Mars Hill in Acts 17, 31, he said, but God hath commanded all men to repent of those things. Repent of that vain, 
false, wicked works religion that you're trusting in and be turned to Christ, the servant of God. Be turned to him whom God, whom the Father hath raised from the dead, because he'll judge all men by that man whom he raised from the dead. And so that's repentance. It's not just from stopping doing this sinful thing and, and, and start doing this good thing. It's the repentance, first and foremost, is be turned from dead works religion that cannot save and be turned to the Lord Jesus Christ. Be put those things away and trust Christ. Wait upon him. And so Galatians 3, verse 23, but before faith came, we, and he's primarily speaking of we Jews here, and now you guys are getting hit with it by the Judaizers, but we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster. It showed us the, the, the knowledge of sin. It showed us, it was, it was given to teach us that we cannot save ourselves. It was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ. And, and in, in the original until Christ. It was given as a schoolmaster until Christ, until Christ came, that we might be justified by faith. That repentance would be worked in our hearts from trusting the law for our righteousness and to be turned to Christ for all our righteousness. And so, uh, but after that faith has come, we're no longer under a schoolmaster. We're not being trained up by that schoolmaster anymore. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. That's what God has given to us, a heart of faith that hopes in and waits in and calls upon the Lord, Abba, Father, have mercy on me. Turn me, Lord. Deliver me from trusting dead works that cannot save. And so God brought Genesis, what we read in Genesis 16 to pass, to teach us this, to give us that allegory, his grace being sufficient for Abraham and Sarah, because they did sin. What they did should not have been done. There's no excuse for what they did in, in, in Abraham taking a second wife of Hagar, but God provided, and he gave us this allegory to show us that we're not saved by the works of the flesh. We're saved by grace, by grace in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he turns us from wicked works and the oldness of the letter as a hope of righteousness and trying to please God by these things, to obtain acceptance with him and to find our acceptance in Christ alone, in Christ alone. And, and, and we seek him for his grace and mercy and help in all our needs, in all our needs. Even when we're troubled, even when we're troubled with our own sin, we're crying out, Lord, save me. Put away this, this filth from me and, and turn my heart to the living God, turn me to Christ, keep me in Christ. But we also see here how that the Lord sent Hagar back. He sent her back, knowing what she carries in her womb to be a means of trials and afflictions for the children of promise. Look at Galatians, if you're still in Galatians, Galatians 4, 428. We'll see this right here. Galatians 428, now we brethren... As Isaac was, are the children of promise. Those who, who believe Christ, they are the children of promise. They're born of the promised seed, Jesus Christ. But as then he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the spirit, even so it is now. 
right? The Jews were zealous for the law. They put to death Christ. And the Jews, being zealous for the law, chased after and persecuted Paul from city to city, going after him and hunting him down and, and speaking contrary to the things that he was teaching the Gentile churches. And so they were zealous for it, and they persecuted believers. He said, nevertheless, what saith the scripture? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. He's saying no matter how much they persecute us and trouble us and go after us in the flesh, don't conform to them. Don't give in to them. I could deliver myself by preaching circumcision, he said, but I'm not doing it. I'm trusting the Lord. I'm going to keep holding forth this gospel, the light of this gospel, because this is how God saves his people, by Jesus Christ alone. That's how he saves his people. And so he said, don't conform to them. Don't conform to them. So then, brethren... We are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. We're, we're, we're delivered from death in, in Christ, wholly, completely. Now, don't turn away from Galatians, but let me just say, back in, in Genesis 16, 9, the Lord sent Hagar back, and it says, The angel of the Lord said unto her, Return to thy mistress and submit thyself under her hands. You have a purpose, go serve it. That's what he's saying to her, and she went back and, and did it. And... Ishmael, the son that she carried, pictures those who by the law and by carnal religion, the Greeks as well, that, that carnal idolatrous religion, they persecute the people of God. Right? When you speak the truth, when you declare the free grace of God, who is it that fights against it the most? Religious people. <laughs> people that have a righteousness of their own, that trust their own righteousness and their own works. They're the ones that get most upset about it. That's who Christ spoke to and was angry with the most was the Pharisees because they're the ones that were constantly speaking against him and constantly trying to show him up and, and, and turn the people away from him. And he's the very righteousness of God. And so he was very hard with them. But he was very gracious, very patient, very merciful to sinners, especially any sinner that came to him seeking mercy. Christ was always gracious. And always heard them, always received all that come to him. Every sinner that comes to Christ, they are received. And they're never turned away from him. Now, for everything I just said, look at one more scripture in 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. If you get to Timothy, you've gone too far. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Verse 14 is where we'll start. And here Paul, by this example, confirms everything I just said to you about the religious persecuting brethren and countrymen persecuting the, the brethren. For ye brethren, verse 14, became followers of the churches of God which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. For ye also have suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews, who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets, and have persecuted us, and they please not God, and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved, to fill up their sins alway, for the wrath is come upon them to the uttermost." Now that description at the end of verse 15, 
that they are contrary to all men is a description of Ishmael in Genesis 16, verse 12. Let's look at Genesis 16, verse 12. And this is what the, how the Lord describes Ishmael here. <clears throat> and he will be a wild man. And what he's likening him to is a wild ass. Like a donkey, an ass is a beast of burden. It's made to carry burdens. And it's submitted and subdued under the hand of man who uses that beast to carry his burdens. And he's saying... This one, he's going to be wild. He's not going to submit. He's not going to be subjugated. He's not going to bow down and be tamed by any man. No, no nation's going to rule over them. He's going to be a trouble and a nuisance to anyone that tries to rule over him. And it says his hand will be against every man. Right? He's contrary to all men. His hand will be against every man and every man's hand against him and he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. That is a packed verse. That is loaded with a lot of things that gets the mind going here. And what the Lord is saying, the spirit here, because there's a lot of fleshly things that we could look at and get, get sidetracked on, but what, this, what he's saying here is that that evil spirit resides in man, regardless of his race, because we saw it in the Jews, we saw it in Catholics. We saw it in Protestants persecuting Baptists. We see it in man all the time rising up and, and, and trying to bring his brethren under subjection to him. We see it in our own hearts. In, in, in the old man of this flesh is constantly rising up to, to, to persecute and trouble the new man of, of faith. And so... This is what Ishmael is and what he pictures. Right? Don't get caught up just in, in the fleshly description of this man. But it says, he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. Meaning he is everywhere. He is bordered right up to the brethren scattered throughout the world. Everywhere that God's people are, this man is right up there next to him. That's why we see him even in this old flesh. He's right there. He's persecuting the, the, the new man. And it's also seen and witnessed in those that persecute the truth, that would war against the truth of God. Paul said to Timothy, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And after he was stoned, when Paul rose up, it says that he went back through the churches of Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, telling them to continue in the faith, and that we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. Right? These afflictions are appointed, just like he said to the Thessalonians. Don't be troubled, don't be moved by these things. Our afflictions are appointed unto us. God has appointed them. Sovereign, holy, almighty God has appointed our afflictions for our good. They're for our good. They serve us. They minister to the church of God for the good of his people. All these tribulations, hardships, difficulties, Sorrows, sufferings, sicknesses, worries, doubts, fears, they all work for the good of God's people, to turn us from the flesh and trust in the flesh and believing the promises of God made unto us in Christ. Now, having laid that foundation, I want to show you one other thing, because when we look at Hagar, there's actually some sweet and precious things 
there, how we see that God said to this Hagar, because she was in the, the church of God was Abraham's house. That is the church of God there in the wilderness. And, and she was there. She heard the truth. And the Lord ministers to her in spite of the allegory that she fills, fulfills for us in Scripture. But he came to her and, and he ministered to her, directing her back, directing her to submit, to humble herself under the hand of her mistress and to submit, though there would be trouble and, and hard to, to deal with. And so what we see here, what we're reminded of in this, is that our God is gracious and merciful to his people. He's the one that strengthens our hearts. He strengthens us in the Lord and, and encourages us to, to not withdraw. Don't draw back. Don't, don't flee from every hardship and, and trouble. That's what we do naturally. We, we want to flee just like Hagar did. But there's good in it. Humble yourselves under the, the mighty hand of God. Trust him through the hardships and difficulties because he means it for your good and the good of your brethren. And so Paul and the other apostles, how did they refer to themselves? Like Hagar, they called themselves servants. We're the bondservants of Christ. We're the slaves of Christ. We're his. He's our Lord. He's our all. He's our master and our Lord. He's our God and our Savior. He's our husband and our friend. And we, we submit to him. We trust him. We believe him. And so, like Hagar to Sarah, we too have a ministry, a ministration of the gospel, that we're to serve in and to declare this gospel for the Lord's people, to call out the lost sheep of God, to strengthen and give bread, heavenly bread, to the Lord's sheep, to feed the sheep of Christ. That's our ministry. That's what we're called to do here in the earth. And that means that those that persecuted them will also persecute and trouble us. It's going to happen. But don't change the message. Don't shrink back. Don't draw back from it to, to, to improve your standing with the carnal man because we don't answer to him. We answer to our Lord, our God, our Savior. And so Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1, he said, Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, this ministry of the gospel, as we have received mercy, we faint not. Just as the Lord, the angel of the Lord, ministered and strengthened Hagar to go back and submit herself, our Lord strengthens his people, ministering his gospel. He strengthens us who support and labor in this work. Verse 5 2 Corinthians 4, 5, For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves, your servants, for Jesus' sake. Right? So he's, he's, he gives that to his people. And you that love the Lord and love his gospel, that's the heart you have to, to lay down your lives and to submit your lives going through the hardships and the difficulties and the adversities that trouble us because we have this glorious testimony. We have this faithful testimony of our God in Christ. Now look what he told Hagar to do in Genesis 16, 9. The angel of the Lord said unto her, Return to thy mistress and submit thyself under her hands. And the Lord gave her a promise, not for her submission. He didn't give her a promise because she, she submitted to the Lord, but to attend, to attend her submission, to strengthen her and to encourage her. Her heart. Verse 10, 
And the angel of the Lord said unto her, I will multiply thy seed exceedingly, that it shall not be numbered for multitude. And it's a picture, it's, a, it's an encouragement to us. The Lord's saying, I'll bring forth thy fruit abundantly. I'll set my fruit in you, and you shall prosper and bring forth your fruit in its season. I'll do that. You trust me. You submit yourself under the afflictions. You, you do what you have to do, declaring this gospel faithfully, and I'll bless it. I'll bring forth fruit in, in you, just as he said to Hagar. And so our Lord brings his people through appointed afflictions, appointed tribulations. And there he blesses them richly. That's where he blesses us. He blesses us through those things. They don't take away. They don't destroy. They don't ruin the work of God. Like Paul said, the prisoner of the Lord. It didn't stop the word. The word went forth in Caesar's palace. It still conquered the hearts of those that God purposed it to conquer. He still delivered and saved his people because though we're bound, though we're put in prison and shut up, the word of the Lord cannot be bound, and it goes forth doing that which God purposed it to do. It can't be stopped. And that's an encouragement to you that love the Lord and love his, love his record and love his witness and testimony. And so these riches attend those made alive by Christ, and it testifies that God has done this. We have this blessing in earthen vessels, things that are easily broken easily shattered and kicked around and scattered. That's where God has put this treasure so that God himself receives all the glory, the praise, and the honor. And so like Hagar, I confess, when I see trouble, I want to hide myself and get out of it. I want to protect myself and, and those that I love. I don't want to go through persecution. And it's hard, especially when you're untested and unproven. It takes time to firm up under that, and so we seek to deliver ourselves, deliver ourselves, but I want to go to 2 Corinthians with you, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and show you five blessings that the Lord gives to his children, that attends the children of God as we labor in this ministry, five blessings. So 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and verse 3 is where we'll pick up. Remember, it's our God leading us through the afflictions. He's appointed them, and, and these are the blessings. These are the, the multiplication of his fruit and blessings in his people. He said, verse 3, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our tribulation." So the first thing here is that our Lord tells us that he is our comfort in tribulation. And without that tribulation, we wouldn't know this comfort of our God. But we know him. We, we learn of him. We grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior going through these tribulations, going through these trials. It's for our good. That's where, as we're comforted in the gospel, so, so God purposed it that way. We wouldn't know that comfort otherwise. All right? we, wouldn't, we wouldn't see it otherwise. But it's submitting to God in humility, then God says, I'll lift you up. I'll bless you. I'll provide for you. And Peter writes of this too. Uh, I think it's in 1 Peter 5 where he says, when you've gone through it, when he's humbled you and brought you low in yourselves, he'll raise you up and you'll be perfect, 
in him, you'll be established, strengthened, and settled in the Lord Jesus Christ. You won't be blown about and moved all over the place. You'll be settled in him. Second, experiencing God's comfort, we're blessed then to be a comfort to our brethren. As we've experienced it, so we now comfort our brethren. Look at the second half of verse 7. That we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. And I believe it's because when, when, when we're humbled, when we've been afflicted and gone through troubles and our puffed up head has been deflated and we're brought low, that's when we're made tender to the difficulties and the trials and the troubles of our brethren because we're humbled by them and we see our need of Christ. And so that's how we're made tender and, and, and gracious to our brethren and kind to our brethren because the Lord through these things shows us kindness and is tender toward us and has done it for our good. And so then we're in likewise made kind and gracious and gentle to our brethren. Third, this comfort and consolation is commensurate or equal to the sufferings. God never comes in under what he's given to you. He always meets the need uh, at or above what, what, is, what is needed by us. He says in verse 5, for as, the cuff, for as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. So sufficient to the day is the grace that our God gives to us. When the trial comes, if, if we knew what trials face us, we would we'd be terrified. But he promises, my grace shall bear you up. My grace shall be sufficient to keep you and hold you and, and, and keep you in the truth. Fourth, brethren are encouraged and strengthened to endure their own trials as they see the Lord supporting and giving you enduring faith in your trials. As, they, as we see our brethren being held up and supported by God and provided by him, it strengthens us as we're going through our trials as well. Could you imagine if, if the churches saw Paul flee and run away, crying and, 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 and never coming back? They'd be deflated, and, and their faith would go right out with them. But as we saw, as he faced his opposition, it strengthened the brethren. That's what he's saying. Verse 6, And whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. As you see us enduring, as God strengthens us and keeps us, you're strengthened and, and kept. And that's what, that's what the Lord does in, in strengthening you it encourages your brethren. Whether you know it or whether they ever say, say it to your face or not, the Lord does that. He strengthens his people. It's effectual. And whether we're comforted, it's for your consolation and salvation. Either one, whether we're in the fire or we're resting, it's all for your good. And fifth, your encouragement and consolation then returns again to your brethren who encouraged you. It now comes back to them, and then they're further encouraged. It just keeps reciprocating and going around and around to strengthen the body of Christ. Verse 7, And our hope of you is steadfast, knowing that as ye are partakers of the sufferings, so shall ye be also of the consolation.
And Peter assures us, saying, these same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren throughout the world. They're going through the same things. You're not alone. You're not alone. God's done this for your good. And he reminds us, uh, Peter, in 1 Peter 1.7, through trials, he said, that's where faith is found. You don't, we don't know the extent of the faith that our God has given to us until we go through fiery trials that, that bring forth, that remove the dross and bring forth that brilliant shine of the precious things he's given to us in Christ. He said, but we, um, he said that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. And so our God has done this for us. It's for our good. It's for our strengthening. It's for the strengthening of you and your brethren. He said, we're troubled on every side. In 2 Corinthians 4, he said, we're troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. And so the Lord has appointed these trials and afflictions. They blow across us like a, like a, a cold, fierce wind, and they wither the flesh. They weaken the flesh. They bring us low in ourselves, but it's for our good and the good of our brethren. And he said, for we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. And so, brethren, these trials are appointed by your sovereign God, and they're to bring forth that life of Christ which he has given to you, to reveal him, to manifest him in your hearts, to turn you from trusting the flesh and the strength of your own flesh and to put you on your knees, to put you on your face, crying out to the Lord to save you, to have mercy on you and to keep you and for your brethren also and to help you in them. So that's where we're strengthened, brethren. I pray the Lord bless that word to all our hearts and, and to help us in this ministry, this glorious ministry which is given to us. Amen.